verses 30 through 44. The apostles, try again. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. The word of the Lord. Man, praise the Lord. Um, good morning, Christ Central Church. My name is Josh Kim. I'm an assistant pastor here. We're glad that you could join us this morning as we continue our worship by looking into the gospel according to Mark. We're walking through this sermon series in this gospel as we learn what it means to follow this king, king who came to us to be with us and to walk with us, and as we follow him on his way to the cross. And this morning, as we read, we're in chapter 6, on the heels of the healing narratives that we saw last week in chapter 5. And in the beginning of chapter 6, we see that Jesus sends his disciples out on a journey, two by two, and it seems like a short mission trip at that, and they come back with testimonies upon testimonies of what they were able to do. It shows the extension of Christ's ministry of healing and casting out demons, the empowerment of the disciples as we see as they go out to do the extension of Christ's ministry, foreshadowing what they will be doing for the rest of their lives, as well as showing us a glimpse of what we're called to do as well. But we also see this heartbreaking story of John the baptizer, beheaded, a martyrdom at that, closing on the narrative of John the baptizer, now focusing again upon the king's ministry on his way to the cross. 
So by the time we pick up the story in verse 30, we see here that Jesus is taking his disciples away to the desolate place. Again, because they didn't even have time to eat. So perhaps it was to give them a rest after a long journey to debrief on their short mission trip. Or perhaps also to grieve a loss, the loss of his friend and a cousin at that. But nonetheless, a large crowd still follows him and the disciples. And in verse 33, we we see that they ran towards the place ahead of them where he was. And he's surrounded by the crowd again. And he ministers to them. Christ ministers to them and teaches them many things. But there's one problem that we see in this story. They're getting hungry, like all of us. But they're in a desolate place where they cannot access the food as easily. So Jesus tells them, you give them something to eat, to disciples. And disciples here were baffled. Only food that they had was five loaves of bread and two fish. It is absolutely hopeless trying to think about feeding 5,000 people at that. The question that we are left with is, what do you and I do when you and I face similar situations of hopelessness. When no matter what you have tried to do, what you have tried to make it work, it just doesn't work. In a situation where you feel like you're up against something that is seemingly impossible for you to handle. Oftentimes, we resort to two different reactions to things like that, and we see the disciples do the same. Sometimes we go into despair mode and we say, well, there's nothing that we can really do about this and it's hopeless. So when Christ says, you give them something to eat, they seem to be lost, unable to move, almost paralyzed, not knowing what to do next. And I'm sure a lot of us have been in those situations too where situations seem so daunting, where all you do is just sit there wondering, someone come and help me. I have no idea what I'm supposed to do in this. Or sometimes we go into desperation mode and we try to fix everything on our own, tries to do all that we do to make It works, looking for opportunities, looking for ways to solve the problem by bursting of activities. Or sometimes we even Christianize it, meaning after we toil away, we try all that we try to do, and at the end we just slap a prayer and say, well, God, do something about this. I did my part, now it's your turn. And that's what we see disciples do, don't they? What are we supposed to do? Well, you told us to bring them. We're ministering to them. What are we supposed to do? Upon this, we see Christ taking up these five loaves of bread, the two fish, and he multiplies it, and he feeds the 5,000. Scripture tells us that 5,000 men, but more likely there will be not only men present, but women and children among them. So many commentators think it's more than 10,000 that Jesus was able to feed that day. But more importantly, what we see in this narrative is a glimpse of his authority, his power, and the fact that he alone can provide. 
He alone is the hope in the time of hopelessness. And not only does he provide the means for those who are gathered, again, the Gospel of Mark invites you and I and the disciples that are present at the moment, not only for them also to be fed, remember they were hungry as well after a long trip, but they also get to see a glimpse of how the king prepares this meal for those who are in need. He invites the disciples and all of us to come to the king's kitchen to see the king's recipe of the meal that he provides. And this morning, I want to see that together. How does our king prepare this meal? What is included in the king's recipe of feeding the 5,000? The first recipe item, the ingredient that we see is the king's empathy, the king's empathy for the crowd. In verse 34, it says, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd that gathered, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. The word compassion here in its original language talks about a deep heart-wrenching, gut-feeling of love and sympathy, the heart love for people has for another person. And there are a couple things we must note about this compassion that Christ has. First thing that we see is this compassion and this heart, this Christ, the King has, is an illusion and fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy. The reference here of the crowd being sheep without a shepherd has multiple allusions throughout Old Testament, especially in reference to 34th chapter of prophet Ezekiel. It says in 34th chapter, so they were scattered because they had no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts, talking about the Israelites, the lost people. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. So what was God's promise? God's prophecy? He will seek them out. In verse 11 of chapter 34, it says, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself, will search for my sheep and will seek them out. And later on, he says, And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. And church, this is a beautiful, beautiful fulfillment of the promise here. We find Christ, God, man, the shepherd, the ultimate shepherd, in line of David is here, who has compassion on the flock, who chases after this flock and gathers them. Or another way to say, loves them, loves us. His compassion, his desire to feed is out of motivation of love. Church, that's grace of God. That's the grace. That's the, the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ this morning. But second thing we see about this compassion is that we have the high priest, the king, who knows us, who knows our need, who knows our hunger. Here is a king whose empathy runs deep within. Not only does he know the spiritual need of his people, notice what he says in the beginning of the narrative, that they were so busy 
that he wasn't even able to eat. He knows what it means to have physical hunger. He finds food to feed, to sustain this king. It also, in the, perhaps in the midst of his grief and needing of rest, needing of rest and in the grief, he has compassion on those that gathers because he has heart and love for them. Here is our king who is not only detached from our pain and sufferings of our day, but we're told time and time again, story upon story upon story, here is a king who is able to relate with us. High priest, the king, the prophet who knows us, his compassion runs deep to relate to us. And ultimately what we see in this compassion is when he has this compassion, his love for us, what he does is he gives himself to us. And that's what we read in verse 34, isn't it? When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And you may think, wait a minute, pastor. Okay, this sounds great to you, but they need help, right? Not another sermon. Like, why are you giving them another lesson instead of giving them something, like giving them something to sustain themselves? What, are you, what is Christ doing here? But what we must notice is what it means for Jesus to teach the crowd, right? When he begins to teach them, it is not just the intellectual transfer of knowledge. Absolutely, there is that. There's illumination of the mind that especially in the Reformed Church we love to emphasize. But remember what John 1.1 told us about who Christ is? John 1.1 says, In the beginning was, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In fact, when he says he began to teach them, it literally means he's giving himself to them. The Word of God dwells, walks with us, and shows them and us who this God is, who loves them, who cares for them, who came to rescue them. So to make that point absolutely clear, so when he gives himself, when he teaches the disciples, he teaches the crowd, he's not only giving intellectual transfer of knowledge, another sermon that lasts on and on and on, he's actually giving himself, his life to them, discipling them, helping them to grow in his, who they are, in knowledge of who God is, and not only to show them that he is loving them by giving himself, by teaching, he also feeds them, literally, physically, and church, that's what we see in Christ's teaching in the gospel. That's what we see throughout the story of the gospel. Not only does Jesus come and tell you, this is how you ought to live. Let me tell you a great story. The world often says Jesus is a great storyteller, great philosopher, great lover even. But what we realize is not only Christ a great teacher, great philosopher, great lover, but he is our God who walked on earth and who died on the cross. He is as physical, meaning not only does he teach, but he lives it out and he gives himself to the crowd, gives himself to us. What we see is the gospel is holistic. All and every aspect of our life is covered. It's both and. It is mind transformation, but it's heart-wrenching conviction, compassion of the heart, but also the hands of activity, the feet 
of the gospel goes to those who are in need. They stand for justice of God and the righteousness and the holiness of God is upheld. Theology has to lead towards practice. Gospel is never divorced from action. Jesus is always giving himself to the crowd. He is teaching and marching. He's speaking and transforming. Jesus gives himself to the point of going to the cross for he, those who he loves. This is at the heart of the gospel church. The main essence, the beauty of King's kitchen and King's recipe is his action, giving of himself to those that are in need. Remember this testimony of my college pastor who had a heart for missions and what his testimony included, and I think many of our missionaries in our church will share the same story as well. His testimony included encountering a story of Muslims who died without hearing the gospel. Especially in this, the month of Ramadan, as we've walked with um, Muslims in this time, we remember that many are dying without hearing the gospel. So my, what my college pastor did Upon listening, hearing, encountering a story, he cried at the sound of many Muslims dying without the gospel. His heart was moved. But did he stop there? Absolutely not. What he did was he learned. He sat under the teaching. He took classes, language classes at that. He lived. He served. And ultimately, God called him to go overseas. And he's been a mission field ever since. Church, I believe when God calls us to the gospel ministry, he calls us to learn, to have a heart that's moved with conviction and compassion. But not only be moved with our conviction and compassion, but also move with our feet and hands to serve and to love and to stand for justice. We invite the church this morning not only for a transformation of your mind. We illuminate your mind through the Word of God, but absolutely at that. But as the Word of God enters into mind and soul, it's got to go to your heart. It's got to move within your heart. And as it moves within your heart, you are now able to go and stand, march, and stand for others who are in need. That's the pattern of the gospel. That's the pattern of the miraculous story of Christ who feeds. This story it's not a miracle story of feeding the 5,000. It is that, but much more. This story is a miraculous story of God who moves the mountains to come to us. This is a miracle story of God who humbles himself to give himself to those who are in need. This is not merely feeding of our physical hunger, but this is a miracle story of transformed lives by encountering God who came to be with us. Oh, come, all who are weary and burdened. Here is the king who is able to emphasize with us, who knows your heart. An invitation is to come and rest in him, be transformed by him, to go out with a renewed conviction. Next ingredient that we see in the recipe of the, in the king's kitchen is not only king's empathy, but the king's enablement. Not only king's empathy, but the king's enablement. 
As we are told of this story, one particular detail jumps out in the miracle. Right before this narrative in the previous verses, the disciples are sent on a mission trip of their lifetime of sorts. It says, and he called them in verse 1, 12, and began to send them out two by two. Not verse 1, but uh, later in the chapter. Let's see, where is it? Uh, in verse 7, I'm sorry. Uh, two by two, they go out, and they are given authority over the unclean spirit. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belt, but to wear sandals, not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you, they will not listen to you. When you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed the gospel that people should repent, and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil, many who were sick and healed them. Wow, disciples do amazing things, don't they? They watch Christ do these miracles and healings going coast to coast in chapter 5. In chapter 6, they get to apply it in their lives, and they do it with authority that come from Christ, come from God, and they were, quote-unquote, successful. They cast out demons. They share the gospel, and with success, resounding success, and they come back. They come back. And what do they do? The first thing that they do when they come back, they completely forgot the authority of the one that was given to them. So when Jesus says, feed them, remember, this were the guys that cast out demons and were proclaiming the gospel and people were, lives were flipped upside down. They come back and Jesus says, feed them. It's almost like you did there, do it here. So I'm like, you, you went on a great mission trip and proclaimed the gospel to many people overseas. All right, now love your neighbor. Do the same thing. And they're like, well, I can't. I can't. You do it. What do I have to do? I only have five loaves and two fish. Well, didn't you cast out demons here and do amazing things? All of a sudden, you forgot what you're supposed to do? That's exactly what happens, right? So what did Jesus do? Wow. Like, I can't believe this, right? You can't even do this. I mean, look at what you have done in two weeks and overseas. You can't live out the gospel for two days at home. Does God give up on these guys? Absolutely not, right? He doesn't toss them aside in this story. He doesn't say, okay, now sit back and watch me. Watch, look at what happens. His compassion that he has for the people includes the very disciples who fail yet again to see who Christ is. In verse 39, he commands them all to sit down in the groups on the green grass. So they take down in groups by hundreds and by fifties, and by taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said, Blessing, and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. He breaks the bread, and instead of saying, I'm going to do this on my own, he hands this bread and the fish to this doubting, failing disciples. Don't you think it would be more amazing if Jesus miraculously had power to do so, to call upon the angels, and angels come and serve? What a scene that would have been, right? Wow, heavens open up, angels coming down and serving. What if Jesus said, well, I'm going to show you a miracle today. What if I said, you know, if, like, imagine, right? If Jesus says, like, I'm going to break the bread, and then now when you do communion, it's going to appear like where you are because of COVID. You'll be like, wow, that's, a, that's amazing. You're going to go and talk about this to everybody, right? Whether I'm a heretic or God sent prophet, right? But Jesus doesn't do that. 
What he does is he gives this bread and the fish to disciples who are doubting and questioning. Why? It is not as miraculous. It is not as powerful, it seems, right? But this is King's method, church. This is the recipe of grace. God will use the hands of the disciples. His enablement, his empowerment, his enablement and grace goes through the hands and the feet of the disciples. And there are details that are included in this story. People are told to sit in groups, which in literal Greek word is like a flower bed, small gatherings, as well as a grass that is green, harking back to the Old Testament imagery of shepherd who leads the flock by the green pastures, especially in Palestinian desert climate, green pastures. Shepherd is leading them. Yes, it is the king who shepherds and leads them. But notice, it is Christ that uses the hands of the disciples to feed. Notice the people, probably because of many, do not see the multiplication of Christ's bread up close and personal. But what they will see, the hands of disciples that are feeding them. And they become the means of grace. Church, disciples had very little to offer. Sometimes a bad heart, quite often unbelieving, doubting heart, bad attitude. We see again and again throughout the Gospels, they say, I cannot, I do not know, I cannot do this, this is impossible for me. How can they? But Jesus does not give up on them. And Jesus continues to work and disciple, train and the importance is placed upon the giver of the source, of course. But we see that Christ enables the disciples to minister to those in need. I think we often say this, and we say we believe this. We often have a very hard time believing this. I struggle with it too. Especially in the areas where you and I might not feel that confident in. We may say, yes, Christ can enable me. But do you really believe that he will use you to minister to those around you? Do you really believe that God has power to use even the lowly of the low, lowest of the low, to build his kingdom? Do you really believe that your weakness can be a moment of God's grace in uh, enabling you to impact the lives of many people? Do you really believe humble can be used by God to impact the life of many do you really believe dying to yourself is the best way to show the beauty of the cross? As a pastor, one of my privilege is to being able to visit uh, newborn and to meet the parents and be able to encourage them, pray with them. And I got to, and I was uh, recently had a chance to visit a family that had a, had a baby girl born. And you know, it's, it's, this is privilege I get to enjoy, right? I get to go in there, pray for them, and they thank me for coming, although it's my joy to be there to pray. And it's amazing to be able to be a part of that, to see that. But as I was hearing the story of this newborn and all this stuff, what was amazing for me was I was at the very, very end, and I was getting all the credit for being a pastor to be there, but all the work of them being blessed by our church has been done already. I didn't go over this in our Life of Christ Central, but we have a ministry in our church called Meal Train. 
And what happens is if you're going through an illness or time of hardship, or especially when a newborn child is born, we have these two women in our church, Sarah and Yvonne, that sets up this meal train where you as a congregation can partake in providing meals for the families during this time. And as I talk to these two awesome sisters of Christ, we're talking about the heart that they have and all this stuff. And I told them, well, this must be a huge burden on you to have to cook and to serve like this time and time again. And, you know, I was amazed by their heart. Simply, one of the sisters said, nah, it's not that much, actually. We just make a little bit more than normal. Just a little bit more than normal. And we just package it and we send. Church, it may seem like a little bit more than normal for many of you and for the sisters here, but for the family that have received that meal, especially when they're going through difficult season, busy season of their lives, man, the testimonies I hear of the love they feel, the community that's built and the blessing from heaven that they see through those hands, they often say it was a lifesaver. It was Christ's love displayed to me during difficult time. Church, it matters. It matters that you partake in this type of ministry. It matters that you make a little bit more and cheer. It matters that your humility in realizing that it is a little, but in the sight of the Lord, God, who is able to multiply the little that you have, God could use that to impact our community, impact our city, impact our world. That's why we ask you to train our children to give during time of offering. Our children's ministry director is amazing at that. Not because what they give um, makes a huge impact Right? That's not what we're talking about here. But the heart that they have in learning to give, God can multiply that. What amazing discipleship that is, right? It's not about just giving itself, but God can multiply to impact the lives of many people. We see Christ who enables, who calls. Church, that's the gospel beauty that we see. Either in our families, in our city, in the places where God has called us to be, Little that we do, little that we can do, we can impact. Not because of your prayers or your acts, but you give is so powerful. Because if it is in Christ, he can powerfully work through that. And you get to partake in that. It's an invitation for you to partake, to love, to pray. One of the things I learned from a missionary recently was, as they were saying, I ask for prayer partners. And I go, when I ask for prayer partners, I ask with confidence. Not because I'm in need of their prayers necessarily, but I go in confidence because they get to pray for me. They get to partake in the mission's work of God. They get to pray on their knees and get to experience the power of gospel played out. To go to the mission field on my knees, on your knees, Again, this is exemplified in this story. And this is the gospel the king calls you to do. Not to place confidence in your words, your background, your money, on all that you can do. But it's to place that confidence and rest in the king who enables you to powerfully impact the lives of those who desperately need his feeding.
including you. Come, church, to the table to surrender to the master chef who can make an amazing dish out of the little ingredients that we bring to the table. The final ingredient that we see in the king's kitchen is not only the king's empathy, king's enablement, but king's empowerment. King's empowerment. Let's look at what happens at the end of the story. Jesus provides and feeds all the people. And they are gathered and sit and they all eat. And boy, they had a grand feast, didn't they? They ate so much, it says. They took up two bas- 12 basketfuls of broken pieces and the fish left over. And you could think of basket as a tall kitchen trash bag size, food left over. Verse 42 says, and they all ate and were completely satisfied. They were satisfied. In today's culture, the you and I, we're probably going to eat lunch after this. And most likely, you will eat until you're satisfied and you have so much left over. So to eat, to eat that much, the feeling of being full is a common experience that we have, right? But for those in Jesus' time, in this story narrative, they were rare. The feeling full for them was a rare experience. Being satisfied by food at that time was an experience that they would never forget. Often, there weren't enough to go around, enough to eat at times, especially the crowd that has gathered. They're not the elites of the society. They are those who are in need. In Jesus' case, it overflowed. There were leftovers. And what we see is that Jesus alone satisfies their hunger, satisfies their need. Again, not only talking about the physical need, but talking about the spiritual need here. All kinds of sayings can go with this, right? The French theologian Pascal once said, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only the God, the creator, made known through Jesus Christ. Augustine, the great African theologian, once said, my heart was restless until it found its rest in thee, in God. My heart is restless until it finds rest in God and God alone. Why? Because we're humans. We always crave and want, we desire to be satisfied, whether it is in our grace, with our relationships, our joys, our money, fame, popularity, comfort, whatever it may be. We desire, desire, and desire, we crave. But we know the more we get, the more we want. And we are never fully satisfied with anything this world gives us. But as we commune with the King of Kings, as we spend time with the Lord of the Lords, we find out that He alone satisfies and fills our deepest needs and covers our deepest wounds. He alone, church, satisfies, can satisfy the longing in your heart. But I, what I want to emphasize today is not only that He can satisfy the longing in your heart, but notice what happens after you are satisfied. The sign of being satisfied and fulfilled by his feeding. This miracle of food, again, the miracle initially occurs when he had compassion on them and he gives them to him. 
the Word of God dwells, the perfect life on earth and death on the cross, that's the greatest miracle that he does here, right? The greatest feeding, the banquet, his recipe includes king's empowerment. Now a crowd who truly ate at this king's table, both physically and spiritually, is transformed by the Word of the God. And their lives include living testimony of the king who satisfies them both physically and spiritually. Now they go forth and they tell the story of this testimony, the empowerment of this beautiful story of God. When they're satisfied, they could go out and testify. Remember what disciples were called to do right before this story? The 12, they were sent out by two by two, and I talked about how this is a foreshadowing of what disciples will do for the rest of those, their lives. The feeding included the disciples, and 5,000 that are gathered ate, listened, and were taught by the word of the Lord. Same Christ who sends the disciples by two by two with authority, we find out that that's the same Christ who teaches the, the crowd here. It's the same Christ who feeds them. It's the same Christ who heals them. The same king was present with the crowd, and now they are called to go to the mission field again to be disciples and go and testify, speak of the king, follow with the authority and power, the empowerment that comes from him. They didn't merely get an intellectual sermon and a nice dinner after that. They didn't come for free food and left thinking, whoa, um, this was a good experience. What they got to experience, church, was the power of the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus himself was given to them. And what joy it was that not only they got to hear spiritually, but they were fed in their hearts. And they're not only fed physically, but they were fed spiritually. Church, do you really believe this? We proclaim to be the people of God's word. And we proclaim the church's place that you come with expectation the gospel we preached. Don't you not? I was talking to a person recently looking for a church during pandemic. And they said, what I want is a gospel-centered preaching church. And all of you, I think you want that. That's why you come to our church, don't you not? But do you really believe that? Do you really believe that every Sunday, as we gather to hear the word of God preached, that it is the power of God that could transform your life? Do you come expecting the miracle to happen in your heart? Do you come expecting that your child will be discipled like that? Do you come expecting the word of God can transform your life upside down? So not only that you get an intellectual transfer, a knowledge transfer in your heart, in your mind, but your heart is convicted with compassion, love for people, and that you move to action. Do you believe that you are a church that is centered upon the word of God? Do you really believe coming and knowing and craving and desiring the word that could satisfy your heart and longing of your heart? Do you truly believe that, church? Do you really believe that, especially during the COVID time? Do you believe that watching, listening to the word of God preached, gathering at the church on Sunday matters? Not because you want to feel better about yourself, but because the word of God has power to transform your life. Do you really believe that? Are you a man of God's word? Are you a woman of God's word? Are we a church that expects this empowerment? Do you believe in it? Do you live in it? Do you testify to that? Or are you merely looking for the crumbs? Are you merely looking for food, intellectual imagination? Church, this is the gospel. It's not just come and be fed, but come and be fed, be completely, be satisfied, 
be completely transformed and now be empowered to take the same story that you were satisfied with to the ends of the world. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, Holy Spirit. That is the gospel. We do that every day, don't we? When we go to a restaurant, what do we do? We look for Yelp reviews. And only people that are blown away by the food that they ate, they leave the remarks. You know what they all say? Try this. Your life will be transformed. What amazing dish this is. But we live like we come to church and we leave one-star review on Yelp. We tell people, well, that's great, but, you know, it's too long. (laughs) That's great, but, uh, you know, I don't know. My life is still the same yesterday, today. We live like one-star Yelpers when God calls us to be five-star Yelpers to say, wow, this is an amazing story of the gospel. My life is changed. Word of God transformed my life. Don't you want to be part of this? That's the empowerment the Word of God can have in your life. As you open up your heart to receive King's finest meal, it has power to transform the life and be empowered to go forward to the ends of the earth. Oh, come and taste the goodness of the Lord, borrowing a famous coat, but changing up it a little bit. Are you not satisfied? Not only entertained. I don't want you to be entertained. Are you not satisfied by the word of the Lord? I remember this particular visit that I had when I was going to seminary, and I had a chance to go back home. Not too much. But time to time, I would go back home um, to visit my family. Um, I didn't get a much chance to visit uh, home during those times. I know a lot of you who sent your kids to college experienced that as well. But this particular visit that I had a chance to go home one time was special. It was special because even before I got to open the front door of my house, my parents, my grandparents came out in celebration. Like, welcome home, my son. And you would think that it was because of me, but it was not. It was because I was bringing a girl home to introduce her to my parents. Already they were thinking, it's a miracle. <laughs> that God has visited us. That God has faithfully answered our prayer. That this guy who was hopeless and helpless, whoo, God can do all things. <laughs> they were transformed and they, okay, they were believers before, but they experienced power of the gospel, right? And I brought my wife home introduced to my parents that day, and they were just mesmerized, wondering why. Even my own son, my own grandson, but why? And they asked all these questions about, you sure about this? Do you know who he is like we do? But man, the meeting went really well. But what I remember the most about that weekend was the amount of food that we ate. Man, the Friday night dinner was like homemade gourmet meals I never tasted before. All the things that they brought out, trying to impress this woman that I brought home, hoping that she would not say no. Um, after that, we had a dessert. And Saturday morning, I got up. Normally, we don't need breakfast, but there was a full breakfast that was ready to eat. And in between the breakfast and lunch, there was a snacks. We went out to eat lunch. After, on the way back, we got a dessert. And my grandma, who normally did not do this, brings out the pan and makes these Korean pancakes and saying, don't you want to eat more? And on Saturday, same thing, feast upon feast upon feast, celebration upon celebration upon celebration. All my uncles were called to say, look at what he has done. Not him, but God. 
what an amazing testimony this is. Again and again and again, all the way throughout. And as I was leaving to go back to my church on Sunday morning, wow, they were all coming out and giving us so much food, saying goodbye, please come back again to my wife, not to me. Come back and come back and come back. And as we're driving back that day, you know one thing that came to my mind? Not I wasn't bitter at them, but I was thinking, wow, I'm so full. I am so satisfied, overstuffed by all the food that they gave me. And we got to my church, preached that day, served. And you know what happened right after that? I was so hungry. I had to eat again. I had to eat again. I had to eat again because even the food that was made with love by my parents doesn't fully, completely satisfy my physical hunger. But church, what we read today's story is not just merely one meal of feasting, satisfaction of one meal that's filled with the love of miracle. But story of today is a story of a meal that overflows and completely satisfies and changes one's life. When you realize this miracle is more than God's transforming power of the gospel, the feeding of the food is cherry on top. When we realize the goodness of the Lord that was available to this crowd, their longing to find the fulfillment, empowerment, is found at the foot of the cross. And what confidence would they have to know that God who loves them, who fed them, who changes them, is now sending them forth. If my parents who love me, who love my wife more, can feed me that much, how much more our Heavenly Father wants to feed us and to satisfy us. But not only that, but to use us for God's kingdom purposes. And this feast points towards the greater feast that is coming when Christ comes back. Revelation 17, 9 says, The angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he, will, he said to me, These are the true words of God. God who fulfilled the Old Testament prophecy by saying, I will be their God since Christ. And he's the same God says, I will come back and invite you to the marriage feast, marriage supper before the Lamb. But before we get there, in the parallel story, as we find throughout the stories, again, in another part, not parallel story, but another part of the scripture, when Christ looked at a great crowd in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, 38, he also had compassion upon them. And you know what he tells the crowd, disciples? Pray that the Lord was, Lord of the harvest, will send workers into the harvest field. Church, we are called to be workers, satisfied by the feast of Christ to go to the ends of the earth, to share this feast with the world that is desperately in need of this feeding of Christ. Let's pray. Church, pray with me. Let's pray that you will be called to go to the ends of the earth. Come before the Lord. I know many of us are tired, 
there are things that are seemingly impossible in your life, uh, let's come before the Lord, saying, God, I need you. I need this feeding. I need the miracle to happen not only in my life and the life of my family, life of all. Do you believe that? Do you believe it is the word of God that could change? Let's pray. Father, that's our prayer. Not in my own abilities, not in all my own power. By all means, Lord, we pray in confidence, resting in the great shepherd who leads us by the, the green pastures, who leads us in the valleys of shadow of death. The word that dwelled among us, dwelled among men. The word of God that went to the cross to die on his place, my place, so I can be completely satisfied in him. Thank you for the word. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for this church. May you be glorified in this body of Christ. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.